Welcome to another episode of On the Highway. I'm your host, Megan Anderson, and each week we bring you an expert in the mortgage and real estate realm. You can learn how to navigate the housing and real estate highway to take your business to the next level. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's get driving. Today's guest is not only a dear friend of mine, but he's also a national speaker and founder of M1 Academy, which was named one of the top 10 mortgage coaching programs in 2023. He's also the host of the podcast, Mortgage Marketing Expert, and he's received numerous awards, including 40 Most Influential Under 40 and 40 Most Connected by NMP Magazine as well as top 20 mortgage professionals by Yahoo Finance. His mission is to help professionals grow even in the most challenging markets. And today he's gonna serve that mission by helping us understand uncommon habits and mindsets of today's top producers. Join me in welcoming Bill Treadwell. (laughs) Thank you so much, Megan. And thank you so much for everybody who's joining us. I may just hire you, Megan, to like intro me everywhere I go. That was good stuff. I I, I like that a lot. Uh, I appreciate that, and you know, I appreciate you coming on and doing this call. You know, it's been a, it's been a challenging time in the market for everyone, and I think that so many of us are interested and curious in what you're seeing right now that is helping people be successful in today's marketplace. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Everyone has challenges. But with challenges, especially in the market, that creates opportunities. There's opportunities in every single market. And that's really what we're going to spend some time talking about today. Guys, I've spent 19 and a half, almost 20 years on the sales side of the mortgage industry as an originator, as a branch manager, uh, as an area regional VP, national director, and everywhere in between. About a year, year and a half ago, I started M1 Academy. And M1 Academy, the M1 stands for mindset first. Mindset's not the only thing, but mindset is the most important thing. Our mindset controls our attitude and our actions. And those are the only two things we actually have control over. We can't control our clients. We can't control our partners. We sure can't control the market. What we can control is what we do and how we respond to things. And The whole mission that I have in the industry right now, it's always been to create a more modern and relevant industry. And you guys have had a ton of really incredible people here, both within the MBS Highway team and on these webinars, talking about things about how to execute in this market, about how to move the industry forward. And we're going to continue to do that because my mission and the mission of M1 Academy is to help people perform and execute at the level they're capable of. And a big piece of that is around mindset. We're going to get into some of the tactics, but you have to build it on a foundation because we've all been in situations where someone pitches us a product or a service and you're like, yeah, it all makes sense. The numbers make sense, but you know, I just don't know. Let me think about it. And there's other situations where the energy they have and the feeling that you get, you're like, I don't know what you were just talking about, but I'm in, let's go. That's a mindset thing. And we're going to build some foundations on here. So I'm going to share my screen and we're just going to kind of jump into this. My story, I've been in the business, like I said, about 20 years, but I will tell you that I answered a newspaper ad. When I first got in this business, the company was looking for someone with sales and management experience. My claim to fame, as you will, is I was a store manager for Blockbuster Video. 
It's one of the funnest jobs I ever had, but I worked every Friday and Saturday night and every weekend. I had done some corporate sales and I answered this newspaper ad in a 30 minute interview turned into about a three hour conversation. And the guy at the time said, if you decide to get in the mortgage business, you're going to look back at this conversation one day and cuss me because once you get in the mortgage business, it's really tough to get out of it. And that's how we all got in this business. We all have a story. No one raised their hand in kindergarten and said, I want to be in the mortgage business when I grow up. Unless maybe you had a parent that did it. But for the most of us, we'll have a story about how we got here. Mine is I did four days of classroom style training. On the fifth day, I walked around with my boss, my GM at the time, and did his little milk route. For those of you that have those milk routes or did back in the day where you go visit all your realtors or referral partners. And that next following Monday, he's he's standing at a copier, just copying black and white photocopied flyers. You can even see where he taped his flyers, where he cut some out and pasted it on there. You can see the tape and the copies. And he put those big black binder clips on there that we all used to use for, for mortgage files. And he fills up this Xerox box and hands it to me and said, go talk to realtors and tell them to send you business. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, we had four days of teaching me about putting a file together in loan programs. And now you're just having me like walk around like what in the world? And I papered the town. I map quested from my apartment to the different real estate offices, went home for lunch. And I went to the same offices again in the afternoon. And I did that nine or 10 hours a day for a couple of weeks before I had my first real conversation with a realtor. And she didn't even uh, talk to me because of mortgage. She stopped me while I was handing out my flyers and said, is, is that your Jeep out there? I had an old busted black Jeep Grand Cherokee that kind of burnt oil, so it smoked a little bit. And when she said, is that your Jeep? I'm thinking, um, is it on fire now? Or did I park in someone's spot? And she said, you know, the one with the razor back on the back of it. Because I went to the University of Arkansas, and I said, yeah. She said, who are you? I'm like, oh my gosh. So I started introducing my name, my company. She said, oh, okay, you're a lender. What are you doing here? And I started talking and she said, wait, can you do bridge loans? And I was like, yes. Because my boss said at the time, if they say, can you do something? You just say yes, because we can do everything. And she writes down a name and an address. And I drove about 40 minutes to this guy's house while I'm blowing up my manager, trying to figure out what in the world a bridge loan was. And that's how I took my first application. Now, I share that story with you guys because we're going to talk about branding. We're going to talk about social media. We're going to talk about the mindset and the foundation, the top producers and highly intelligent, uncommon people that the things that they use in their business. But that's not how most of us got started. That's not how I got started. I've had a podcast for about five and a half years called Mortgage Marketing Expert where I've gotten to interview some of the who's who within the industry and a lot of big names outside of the industry. Barry was kind enough five and a half, almost six years ago to be my very first interview podcast guest. And I'll never forget it because I started with a $100 Blue Yeti USB microphone, a little $40 Logitech webcam. And he was having me tilted up because you could just see like this much of my head at the time. And he went through and shared just incredible information with me. He's been on several times since then. But I share this list of people and many, many others, because this is a group of people that has been on the podcast and I've gotten to learn from. I've had incredible coaches and mentors. And what I found in doing these interviews and being mentored and coached by some of the most influential people in our industry is that there's these common threads. There's things that they understand. There's commonalities between uncommon people. And that's really what we're going to unpack today. 
One of the first things I want to talk about is kind of the state of the industry. I'm a numbers guy. It's why MBS Highway has always been one of my favorite platforms to use. And one of the things I always recommend, because Barry talks about how you can articulate the opportunity in the market and make it approachable for realtors, for your clients. These numbers are the number of licensed originators that did at least one loan in a 12-month time frame. Doesn't take into consideration bank LOs. And it's just filtering out people that are licensed that are maybe support staff. And as you can see at the peak in 2021, we did like a hunt, we had 180,000 licensed originators that did at least a loan. 2022, it dropped to 150. At the end of Q2 of this year, we had under 100,000. And the projection is by the end of this year, we're gonna have 80,000 or potentially less. Okay, well, Phil, what does that mean? It's not doom and gloom. What that means is that People that were just here because there was low-hanging fruit refi business and your phone just rang, it means that the career people, you guys, people that are still here, you have all kinds of opportunity in the market. There's all kinds of media buzz. There's all kinds of stuff about housing. But at the end of the day, we need to show people where the opportunities are. And I'll show you one of these opportunities right now. This next chart is purchase origination business in trillions. At our peak, it was $1.65 trillion. Tapered off a little bit in 2022. The new MBA projection for this year is around $1.38 trillion. They also project we're going to get about a 12 or 14% boost. I've seen projections as high as just under $1.55 trillion in purchase business. But regardless of the numbers, these it's, it stayed pretty consistent. Yes, we've lost a lot of volume for refis. Yes, rates are a lot higher than they were at the beginning of 2022 or in 2021. But all that means is that there's new challenges that we can create opportunities from. The tools that MBS Highway, one of my favorite tools is the debt consolidation refi tool. Guys, one of the biggest challenges that people have right now is, yes, mortgage rates have increased, but so have consumer interest rates. I learned from Barry a few weeks ago that the amount of credit card debt that the average consumer has has doubled in the last year. There's so many, we're also sitting on the most equity we've ever sat on. Okay, what's the opportunity? As you're doing your annual reviews, as you're reaching out to people, now is the time that we can go in and say, hey, we may be able to lower your overall monthly outgo. Find out the challenges that they have because there's still a lot of business. When I, when I talked about the, the first boss that I had and I got in the business, my dad's a builder, my mom was a teacher, and my mom was not happy that I got in the mortgage business. Rates were seven and a half, eight percent at the time. She's like, what are you going to do when rates go back up? They're low right now. Well, joke was on her. It took 20 years before we actually got back up to seven and a half, eight percent. But I went to my, my boss at the time. I said, that's a great question. What, what are we going to do when rates go back up? And he said, listen, my best year as a mortgage originator, rates were 16, 17, 18 percent. People are always going to buy homes. They just may not buy as big of a home. Guys, there's all kinds of institutions from the GSEs to, you know, organizations. Lots of people are trying to solve the supply issue. People are going to continue to buy homes. Make no mistake, buying a home is still very much part of the American dream. Just millennials. There's 50 million millennials in the United States. Only 38 or 39% of them have a mortgage. Let's say that 12% of them 
can't get qualified for whatever reason, income, credit, whatever it is, that still leaves 25 million millennials, just millennials, that can enter the home buying market. Guys, there's opportunities everywhere, but we've got to create the foundation. We've got to create in our minds an opportunity for people, and we've got to be a voice of hope. Guys, your unique value can be something as simple as talking about all the things that people can do. I think everyone between 20 and 65 has a desire to want to own real estate, whether they want to create retirement for themselves, create net worth. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but the Social Security Administration on their website says that 98% of people cannot financially support themselves at age 65. They're not financially independent. 98% of people, a third of them have to depend on the government, Social Security and other programs. A third of them depend on family and a third of them have to continue to work. That's a huge opportunity that we can create net worth and retirement for people. Maybe they want to sell everything and live in a VW bus or RV and travel the world. You need passive income for those things. I see Megan's kind of kind of laughing there. There's a lot of people right now that would love to just go travel the world in a van, an RV, in a, in a bus, whatever. Guys, real estate's one of the most approachable ways for the average person to create wealth, to create passive income. One of the things that was the common thread from uncommon people is that they embrace failure. They don't shy away from it. Ironically, as a side note, this graphic here was one of the things I put on my very first flyer that I used to walk around and paper the town with. And at the top, it says, has your lender fumbled alone lately? And at the bottom, I put my information. I was creating it in a Word document. So it was the trifecta, bold, italicized, underline. I put available seven days a week. It wasn't available 24 hours a day, but I let them know that I was there for them if they had anything. I failed a lot. That's why I use that graphic with this specific topic. Guys, academia taught us that success is over here and failure is over here. And we need to decide which way we want to go. Because I couldn't fail every test, fail every quiz. Even if I learned everything I got wrong and learned the material in academia, I'm still a quote unquote failure. That's not the way the real world works. Truly successful people understand that failure and success are stacked. You go through failure to get to success. See, we think that if we fail, that we've now gone further from success than closer. But here's the thing. There's never a situation where doing nothing is better than doing something, even if you fail. Because if you do nothing, you get nothing. If you do something, you either get a win and get a result, or you take an L. And that L is not lost. That L is learned. You get, which is a win. You get an opportunity to learn something that's going to help you get where you want to go. We as mortgage professionals need to understand if we want to be elite professionals, I think everybody on this call that's taking time to learn today, that's using MBS Highway, that's out in the market, they do want to be elite professionals or consider themselves elite professionals. Well, let's look at elite professionals from other industries. Baseball. I'm in Texas. Rangers just won the World Series. Very excited about that. Elite baseball players or professional baseball players at any level of professional baseball, if they have a 200 batting average, they're probably in the minor leagues. If they have a 300 batting average, they're for sure in the major leagues. They might even be an all-star. 
If they have a 400 batting average, they're Ted Williams. They're the greatest of all time. See, the irony in this is, I know you guys are good with math, but for those that don't speak baseball, a 300 batting average means three out of 10 times they get a hit and get on base. Now, using that math, seven out of 10 times they strike out or fly out or ground out. They don't make it on base. Okay, wait a minute. To be one of the best in the world at what you do, you can fail seven out of 10 times? Yes. That's what elite professionals do. Now, there's some people that are saying, Phil, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm okay with it. Yeah, I don't need this part of the talk. That's fine. I would challenge you. Are you okay with people seeing you fail? See, I learned this from Steve Sims. We, a lot of times, may not be afraid of failure, but we don't want people to see us fail. Do we want people to see our pipelines right now? Do, they, do we want them to see our bank accounts? Do they want to know the conversations, the heated conversations that we have behind the scenes with people in our office or our spouse or whatever else? See, again, in baseball, they don't get to fail behind closed doors. They do it in front of 40,000 people that when they strike out and walk back to the dugout, they're getting called every name other than the one their mom gave them. And then they have to do it again in 20 minutes or 30 minutes. Do we have that same mindset with our business? When we make a phone call with a realtor or with a client and it doesn't go well, do we understand what happened in that conversation or do we do go do it again? Guys, in that first episode, podcast episode I did with Barry, he said something that I've never forgotten. He said a boxer trains 5,000 minutes for every one minute in the ring. That's profound. It's about the reps. How many times are we starting conversations with people next to us at the gas pump or our server or the person at the checkout counter and just getting to know them and starting relationships so that whenever we get into a conversation with someone we really want to get to know and build a relationship with, that it counts that when we're in the quote ring, we've got the reps in. How often are we practicing our scripts? Guys, I don't love scripts more than the next person, but if you write a script, then you know exactly what you want to say, how you say it, and then you put in the reps and you train and you practice. That doesn't ensure success. We're still going to fail, but now we're confident in what we're saying. Guys, if we do it over and over and over, that's going to create confidence, not because of the wins, but because of the losses. We realize that the losses don't move the needle near as much as the winds do. And that's what we have to remember about embracing failure is it's part of success. That's one of the things that uncommon people understand. People that are top producers. I've got people in my coaching program right now that have had their biggest month ever or their biggest month this year in October and have an incredible run rate through the next couple of months. And guys, we all know it's as hard as it's going to get right now. We all know that in 2024, things are going to loosen up. We're already starting to see that not only the market's moving a little bit, but there's optimism. We've got to carry that torch. But top producers right now, people that are having success, are putting in the action. They're, they're, they're doing it over and over and over because failure is not a part of this. People that you see with swagger that walk into the room that just have it all together, that's not a God-given trait. Guys, confidence is not a personality trait. Confidence is a skill that you learn. And you learn that through taking the reps, by taking action. That's super, super important. The next thing that uncommon people realize is what business they're in. Now, in the chat here, I'd love for you guys to, to throw in, in uh, some comments here. Let's talk about McDonald's for a second. 
who knows what business McDonald's is in or what business you think that they're in? Real estate, good answer. Customer service, real estate, real estate, fast food. I see selling happiness. There's a good one. Marketing, distribution, people, franchise, convenience, real estate. Guys, all of these are, are phenomenal answers. And some of you have it right. Guys, McDonald's is in the happiness business. If you guys have ever heard a talk like this before, McDonald's sells fast food and customer service. They make money with real estate, but they're in the happiness business. How do I know? Because the best selling meal at McDonald's is a happy meal. Happy meals are what kids like. It makes them happy. They get a toy in it. Even adults like to get happy meals to get the toy. They even collect the toys. They even created a clown because, well, clowns did make people happy until Stephen King wrote a book and screwed that up every day. Right? What's the best-selling product at McDonald's? Throw it in the chat here. Do you know what the number one best-selling product is? Single product at McDonald's. Happy meal. It's not a happy meal. Fries. Lots of answers of fries. Happy meal. French fries. Big Mac. Not yet. Don't have it yet. Soda. Close. Ice cream machine. It's working. <laughs> Coffee. Apple pie. All great guesses. Coca-Cola. There it is. The number one best-selling product at McDonald's is Coca-Cola. A Coke and a smile. McDonald's is in the happiness business, y'all. They sell customer service, convenience, fast food, make money with real estate, but they're in the happiness business. Why does that matter? <laughs> Barry says it all the time. Guys, we're not in the mortgage business because people don't want a mortgage. Who wants a mortgage? Who wants a big fat mortgage? Give me the biggest one you've got with the biggest payment. I want a mortgage. No, they don't want a mortgage. They want what the mortgage does for them. It creates a home. A home that they can make memories and become happy. They buy a property that creates income or wealth that makes them happy. Guys, we're in the love and happiness business in mortgage. Tony Robbins says our two biggest fears, our second biggest fear is being enough or not being enough, being good enough, being smart enough, having enough money which plays into our actual biggest fear, which is not being loved. Being loved romantically, being loved by friends, being included, being liked. When we think about that, you just solving the love and happiness equation and how they can solve that problem through real estate, through becoming a homeowner, that's what attracts people to you. I would even challenge you, we didn't even call, when I recently had a production team here not too long ago, we didn't even call an application an application. We called it a client profile. Why? Because the root word of application is apply. Hey, go fill out a form so we can see if you're good enough. No, call it a client profile. Hey, we want to have you fill out this client profile. Give us some information so we can help create a strategy for you. It's not going to be no. It's either going to be a yes or a not yet. We're going to help you create a strategy to get there. We have to understand that the mortgage business makes money with real estate, makes money with mortgages, but the business we're in is in people. It's in love. It's in happiness. 
Let's talk about Apple. See, when Apple first launched the PC, the personal computer, IBM was not in the personal computing space. It was international business machines. They did mainframes and business computing. So when IBM launched a PC, everyone's like, oh, Apple, you need to be careful. Man, IBM's going to crush you guys. Apple wasn't concerned about that, not even a little bit. Apple was like, hey, we're confident in our products. But the challenge we have when it comes to telling people about the power of having a personal computer in the home is the education piece. And we don't have enough pockets for that. IBM does. They didn't see IBM as competition. They saw them as someone that could help them achieve the goal and solve the problem of their intended audience too. So what did they do? They took out a full page ad. And I, I, can't, I don't remember if it was Wall Street Journal or New York Times, but it was a huge newspaper. And they put, welcome IBM. Seriously. Welcome to the most exciting and important marketplace since the computer revolution began 35 years ago. Now look at the bottom. Welcome to the task. They didn't see IBM as competition. They were confident in what they did. They saw them as an ally to help them move it forward. Us as an industry need to stop worrying about competition and start understanding that rising tide raises all boats, raises all ships. We need to be excellent in what we're doing. We need to be sharing information. We need to be making sure we're solving problems. Why? Because there's plenty of business out there for everyone who's willing to do the work. We can't have a scarcity mindset. We have to have an abundance mindset. We have to understand that if we're doing our thing and we're solving problems for people, it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. There is no new content under the sun. Your piece of content doesn't matter. If you actually have an original thought, you need to be shouting it from the rooftops everywhere you can so the people know you said it. Other than that, we need to be sharing ideas and solving problems for people. Why? Because you're going to have a unique value offer. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. The next thing that uncommon people understand is they know what people pay for. If you haven't caught anything that I've said so far, catch this. People pay for solutions to their problems. That's it. If you're not making enough money, if you don't have enough volume or production or whatever the metric is that you want to increase, you're not getting that for one of three reasons. The first reason is you're simply just not solving enough problems for people. That's it. You need to go solve more problems for people. The second reason is you're not clear about the problem that you solve. You're either not clear yourself about the specific problem that you solve, or you're not doing a great job letting people know what problem you solve, but it's, it's not clear what problem you're solving. And then the third reason is people don't believe that you can solve their problem. Maybe that's a reputation thing. Maybe that's you've not been clear enough about it, but if you're not making enough money, if you don't have enough production, it's for one or multiple of those reasons. You're either not solving enough problems, you're not clear about the problem you solve, or people don't believe you can solve the problem for them. Guys, problems are opportunities. When we're having a one-on-one -on -one with a realtor, let's say you send a text message of, uh, hey, Megan, saw on social media that you were, you were traveling. That's so awesome. Glad you're back in town. Uh, I do a lot of marketing online. And a lot of times I run into people that don't have a realtor. 
I'd love to have a quick conversation, see if our goals align. Maybe we can do some business together. I'd love to get to know you. Maybe you do that 10 times a day, 20 times a day. You get some realtor one-on-ones lined up. In those conversations, first of all, you don't need to spend an hour selling yourself. You're there to build a relationship. Relationships take time and we just don't give it enough time. You don't do business and then create relationship. You build a relationship and then you do business. So I'd challenge you, the first meeting, whether it's Zoom, phone call, coffee, you need to limit it to about 20 minutes, maybe 30 max. Because scientifically, if you have a one-on-one conversation, the person that does the majority of the talking walks away feeling good about that conversation. So you need to ask them questions. Hey, how did you get in the business? Hey, what, what, what's been going on the last year, two years? And the money-making question is, hey, what's your focus this next quarter? What's your focus this next year? When someone asks us that question, what we should be saying is, we're going to lean into what's actually working. But what we normally do is when someone says, hey, what's your focus? We talk about something we're going to improve on or that we need to improve on. So when you ask that to a realtor, they're going to tell you one of the challenges they have. They're going to tell you a problem they have. And you now know what problem you can solve for them. One of the biggest mistakes I see loan officers is we talk about their scripts. They talk about the things that they're sharing with agents. They ask this question of, hey, what can I do for you? How can I help you? The spirit of the conversation is good, but tactically it's way wrong. They expect you to know what you can do for them. So we start listing off all these features of things we can do in loan programs when we should be talking about benefit. Guys, even in your content, when you're sharing videos, when you're putting content outline, nobody cares about features. They care about how it benefits them because that benefit typically solves a problem for them. Sharing stories. So when you're doing your one-on-ones, the easiest way to identify a problem with a client or a consumer is ask them what their focus is or find out their why. With a client conversation, when they call you asking details about questions, when they call saying, hey, I want to know about this down payment assistance program or what's your, just say, hey, we'll get all kinds of questions answered. But first, I just want to say, I'm excited that you're in the home buying journey. Congratulations for that. How important would it be for you to own a home? How important would it be for you to become a homeowner? What's significant about buying this home? Now, the first answer they give you is probably not the actual answer. So then you say, hey, that's awesome. Buying a home, you want to own property, it's part of the American dream. What's significant about that for you? And ask that a few times until you get to their why. They'll talk about something that happened in the past, or they'll talk about different things. I had one lady, she worked for a nonprofit. She loved what she did. She was passionate about what she did, but they didn't have retirement. So she wanted to buy a home and eventually invest in real estate to create that retirement we were talking about. But as we talked about this conversation and we we walked through her why, the first thing she said was, I want to invest in retirement. I said, that's awesome. But What else is important about that for you? And she talked about all kinds of different things. And as we continued the conversation, she started getting emotional. We were on a phone call and she started getting emotional. And she said, I'm a single mom. I have a daughter. And really, I want my daughter to be able to paint her walls any color she wants. Now, think about that for a second. When you rent, you either don't get to paint the walls or Maybe they let you paint the walls, but it's probably going to be something neutral. And you're only staying there a year or two. 
Her why she wanted to become a homeowner was to let her daughter paint the walls any color she wanted. That was the real problem. Yes, there was other benefits in terms of investing in real estate. But the real why was paint the walls. I had another lady call about down payment assistance. I said, that's awesome. I said, hey, how important would it be for you to become a homeowner? She said, I want to own property. That's super important. I said, hey, owning property is part of the American dream. How significant would that be for you? And she said, she was a middle-aged lady. She said, I have a boyfriend who owns a home and I want to own a home because I think we'll probably get married in a couple of years and we want to buy a home together when we get married, but keep our individual properties as rental properties. It's like, okay, now we're talking about investment real estate. What's significant about owning investment properties for you? And then the real story came. She said, well, my grandparents had a really tough life but they made a go of it and they owned property, but they passed it down to my parents and aunts and uncles and they squandered it. So my cousins and I feel like it's up to us to change our family tree. See, now we're talking about generational wealth. She called to ask about a down payment assistance bond program, but her why, the real problem she have is how do I do this and show my family how to do this? That's the real problem. See guys, People pay for solutions to their problems, but sometimes it's not about money. It's also about time and attention and loyalty. See, rate goes out the window whenever you have that conversation and say, thank you for sharing that with me because now we understand the strategy of what we need to do, not just for this particular home, this mortgage, but for some of the subsequent ones as well. So even if they go talk to another lender, they don't know that that lender's giving them the right strategy to actually achieve what they wanted. And sometimes they don't even know what that is until you have the conversation. But people pay for solutions to their problems. That's what you've got to understand. The next thing that common people, uncommon people understand is the marketing formula. Okay, we've now identified, I'm going to go take action. I'm not scared of failure. We're going to stay consistent and persistent over time. Now we've got all of these different things. What is it that we're going to do to reach them? The first part, those three steps for the marketing formula, the first step is, who is my audience? Who is my target market? Who are the people that I'm trying to reach? You've got to get very, very specific. Not just first-time home buyers. Who? What type of first-time home buyer is that? Younger Gen X and older millennials. Is that millennials? Is that older Gen Z and younger millennials? Or maybe you want to focus on real estate investors. What type of real estate investors is that? Fix and flip. Is that rehab? Is that long-term rentals, short-term rentals? Get very, very specific. Who is my audience that I'm trying to reach? Now you may have a separate list for realtors. The audience is realtors. Okay, what kind of realtor? What's the geographic area? What do they focus on? How do they create their leads? How do they get business? Now, the second step, after you've identified your audience, is again, what problem do I solve? What's the value that I'm going to provide? What's the message that I want to give them? That's why you have to be clear on your audience to think about what point of life are they in? What are the things that they're doing that I can solve for them? What's the value that I can give them? And the third one is where's the most effective place, medium, platform 
that I can solve that problem for that audience. Guys, marketing is about getting someone's attention. Sales is the conversation that comes way later to make them a customer. I say way later, it doesn't have to be a long period of time, but marketing gets someone's attention. Let's talk about different types of problems that have nothing to do with real estate. Let's say you're sitting in a doctor's office, right? You get there 15 minutes early because they want you to fill out all the stinking paperwork. 45 minutes have gone by. It's 30 minutes after your appointment time. You're still in the waiting room and you're hating life. When we pull out our phone and open up social media, no one's opening up Instagram or Facebook and like, damn, I hope someone gives me the definition of amortization. Or man, I hope someone shares how many loans they closed the month before. Guys, I'm not saying there's not a time and place for those things. But the problem that those people have is they want to escape their environment. They want to be entertained. They want to be informed. It's the same thing about why do we buy a $10 gallon of milk at a convenience store versus $5 in a grocery store? The problem we have is time. First of all, strategically, they put milk in the very back, so you have to walk through the whole store. We've got to think about these problems. So what is it that we can do to take people out of their environment, to entertain them, to give them what they want? Marketing is getting someone's attention. And another thing we have to understand is in those conversations, when they engage with that content, we don't immediately start selling in the DMs. I don't want you to sell in the DMs at all. I want you to get to know people. Now, effective marketing is taking that attention and balancing it with trust. And the two main ways that I found to create trust in this scenario, the first is find something in common with them. When you're having that conversation, let's say they've engaged in a piece of content, it could be nothing about mortgage. You've entertained them. You've shared something. Find things in common with them. We naturally are drawn to and have a little bit of trust with people that are like us, that we have things in common with. When I graduated high school, my parents gave me a, a it was an educational group trip to Europe. It was like 17 days, six different countries. Well, I remember as we were going through this trip, specifically we were in Venice, Italy, and we ran into some other Americans. We're like, oh, hey, high five. We're from the U.S. And we spent time you know, walking around with them that day. I remember thinking years later, like that was interesting because I don't walk around the U.S. I mean, I got high five. I'm from the U.S. Unless me living in Texas, I'm in New Jersey. And I see someone else who lives in Texas. Like, oh, hey, high five. I'm from Texas. But I don't do that in Texas unless me living in Dallas, I'm in Houston and I see someone from Dallas. You guys get the idea. The point is, in different environments, we're naturally drawn to people that are like us, that we have things in common with. That leads to trust. We've got to remember as we're marketing and getting people's attention, we then make it effective by adding to it with trust. Other thing when we're talking about where is the audience at, this is a chart that I found that. Where did buyers find their lender? And as you can see, there's still about 64% of people, 63% of people, my math here, 63% of people still found their lender from a referral from a realtor or a friend or family member. Now, there's some online stuff, bank, you know, other, other home buying. And then there's this little slice over here of social media, 
Now, when I saw this presented for the first time, the person that, that, that shared this said, as soon as I saw that, I immediately stopped doing near as much on social media and focused on some online search and other things. But I increased the amount of outbound phone calls to realtors into my database. And I, I agree with that on a certain element, but I think we're off base. And here's why. When was the last time someone referred you to a movie, a restaurant, a product that you didn't immediately go online or on social media and kick the tires for yourself? So if someone has 100 realtors in their database that send them all kinds of business and 10,000 people in their client database, hey, awesome, hats off, that's incredible. But you can immediately increase your conversion by having a presence on social, by putting out content on social. Because that's what we do. You have to have these online presence. You've got to have these things where people can find things about you that they like. Know, like, and trust. So we've got to understand where business is coming from. And yes, there needs to be an element of outbound conversations with realtors, outbound conversations with your client database, doing reviews with your past clients, semi-annual, and reviews, whatever. But guys, they're going to go look at you online. We still Google people. When you Google people, social media is almost the first ones that pop up. They're going to go on Instagram and Facebook or LinkedIn and, and look at you. So don't let that fool you. Understand that that's going to increase the conversions of the other places. And on that line, we've got to digitize our reputation. Now, our reputation isn't what people say about us. Our reputation is who we are, not just what we do. Another way to say this is they have a personal brand. Uncommon people have a personal brand. It may show up online more than others, but it is online. It is digital. It's on a website. It's on social media platforms. This is extremely important. You need to be talking about your life. You need to be documenting your day. Yes, you're going to pepper in some social media content. Yes, you're going to post about mortgage. Guys, MBS Highway has some of the, if not the most incredible resources about articulating the opportunity in the market. But here's the problem. Even at the level of quality of content that we can put out about the mortgage industry, people aren't always going to pay attention to that. When I grew up, there were three channels, maybe four if PBS came in. We had three channels, and if the president was on, your night was shot, right? But in those three channels, when a commercial came on, what did we do? We changed the channel. That's what's happening with a lot of people's social media right now. It's advertisement and advertisement and advertisement and post about mortgage and post about mortgage and people stop paying attention. But if you share who you are, not just what you do, people will pay attention. You need to come up with some pillars about your life, your hobbies, your pets, your family, things you like to do. People engage with that kind of stuff. I'm not saying you got to post pictures of all your meals. But what you do need to do is understand that the things that we think no one cares about are ironically the most important opportunities we have to make a connection with people. That's what people actually care about. Good friend of mine, Chelsea Pites, has a phrase, there's magic in the mundane. Those I things that we... Please go ahead. I want to pop in and I want to say, you know, you know, I've, I've followed Phil for a long time on social media. And one of these kind of 
mundane things that you post that I feel like has brought a lot of connection between you and I and you and other people is every time you're flying on a plane, you take a picture, you take a wing pic. And the next thing you know, everyone thinks of you every time they get on a plane. There's been multiple times I've taken a wing pic and tagged you and other people have. And it's this stupid little thing. But at the end of the day, it subconsciously, every time I get on a plane, I think of you. That's right. I And I, I appreciate saying that. And that was honestly a, a happy accident. The first time I did that, I was on my way to Agent 2021 with Gary V, and I'd gotten the first iPhone where the camera didn't suck. And I took a picture of the, the wing out the window and everyone's like, where are you going? What are you doing? And as I traveled as a regional manager, and now as I travel at events, I started taking wing pics and I just put the airport code to the airport code. And that started so many conversations to where, you know, Megan obviously travels a lot too. And now because I've shared about wing picks with people, I have at least five, if not 10 people every week that will tag me in wing picks or send them to me or whatever else. And so thank you for sharing that example, because guys, those little things that we share in our life are the opportunities to start conversations. I'll give you another quick example. I had uh, had my podcast for a few years and a guy sent me a DM on Instagram and said, Hey, I, I heard in one of your episodes that you really like scotch. I'm a bourbon guy. What do you, what, what's your favorite? And in the DMs, we sat there and had a conversation about whiskey. He didn't say, Hey, I've been listening to your podcast for a year. And man, that, that one tip that you said was just revolutionary. That guest said this and it changed my business. Now I hope some of those things happened. But what made him reach out was something that I talked about that was relevant to him. Guys, we need to be thinking about the people that we want to reach. What are the things that are relevant to them? All of those things. Someone put in the comments, homemade meals or video, you know, uh, uh, when I post homemade pictures or videos of, of meals. Yes, 100%. I have one of my coaching clients, she was trying to think of things to post. And I asked her, what, what, what's your hobbies? And she said, well, honestly, right now, my favorite thing is to, to grow herbs in my backyard. And I was like, that's actually perfect. That afternoon, she posted a picture of I'm growing this herb and this herb. What else should I do? And she said she only she only had like four or 500 followers, which is still a good amount of followers. And she had like 20 or 30 people that reached out and said, you should grow this. You should grow this. I even commented on it. I said, you should grow coriander. I don't know why, but that's what I said. I think it's oregano. I think they're the same thing. I don't know. Guys, find things that people want to engage with. And how do you figure out what to do? Think about your life. Think about who you are. That's the most important thing. That's part of your personal brand. Guys, a personal brand is not a shtick. It's not a logo. It's not this big brand. It's about the person, not the brand. Now, how do I know this? Because the biggest brands on planet Earth, Nike, Wheaties, Apple, they pay millions and millions of dollars for people to represent them. They have to personify their brand. Ironically, in mortgage, because nobody cares what company you work for, they're doing business with you, we try to create a brand instead of focusing on the person and the relationship. Nobody likes Wheaties. Let's be honest. Wheaties kind of suck. But everyone buys Wheaties because of the cool athletes and people that they put on the cereal box. Different companies pay huge amount of money for endorsements 
to get people to connect with them, to create credibility. Well, guess what? In our business, it's not as much about the brand as the person. We've got to reshift our focus on the person, not the brand. And another, just to drive this point home, one more slide. There's a company called the Brand Builders Group in Nashville, Tennessee. It's led by Rory and AJ Vaden. They helped build brands for people like Ed Milet and Lewis Howes, the School of Greatness podcast, the author John Gordon. And I got the opportunity to be on Rory and AJ's podcast, and AJ came on mine. And they were telling a story about they commissioned a study of PhDs, a true academic study around personal branding. And what they found was that between 60 and 65% of people, it was like the, the percentages were 61, 63, 64, and 65 a percent of people in four professions wanted to see more of a personal brand. The top was doctor, second was employer, the third was lawyer, and the fourth was a financial advisor. Between 60 and 65% of people wanted more of a personal brand from those professions. So what they found is this statement right here on your screen, the higher the requirement of trust in a profession, the more important it was to have a personal brand about the person. Now think about it. Why are those four specifically? Because when we go into a doctor, an attorney, our boss, a financial advisor, there's a level of anxiety and stress about going in there. So they want to know who that person is more on a human basis. And guess what? Their clients are the exact same people that are your clients. We're comfortable with the mortgage industry and we forget, holy cow, people that are coming in have a level of anxiety, that fear of being enough. That ties into it. And the way that you can mitigate that is, yes, show people you're a subject matter expert. Show people that you're a mortgage advisor. Become a certified mortgage advisor for that credibility. But you also have to show who you are so that they have a level of knowing and liking and trusting you. And you bring that down, that anxiety down through a personal brand. All right, guys, uh, we're going to go to questions in just a second, but I want to share something with you. So M1 Academy, we have one-on-one and group coaching programs, and we're doing a special uh, in conjunction with MBS Highway. It's a 12-month program. It's performance coaching. Performance coaching is all about helping you execute and perform at the level that you're capable of. We're going to build the foundation of your why, your unique value offer your North Star, what is it you want to do? How do we break that down into daily habits, daily disciplines? And then we're going to build the messaging and the tactics on top of it. What do you need to do to reach out to realtors? What do you need to do to reach out to clients, to work your database? You need to go into how can I crush it in 2024? How do I build my goals and turn those into daily habits? In this program, we're going to do for the next 12 months, bi-weekly 60-minute group coaching calls. We're going to do quarterly core four workshops. The core four pillars in M1 Academy are mindset, habits, message, and vision. Our mindset, we've talked about a lot of that today, and there's a lot more that we can unpack. And our habits, it's everything we do tactically, everything we do to grow and build ourselves and our business. Our message, that's our marketing. What is it we want to put out there? What is our brand? Then we want to get into vision. Where are we going? What are we doing? How do we get there? We have a, an eight-video video series with a workbook. We do a da- daily accountability text. We have an entire resource library of training videos and workshops and prior group calls. And you'll have a whole access to our entire M1 Academy community. Normally, this program is $24.97 for the year. We're knocking $500 bucks off specifically for 
MBS Highway users. So we're only going to be doing this through the end of this week. So today and tomorrow, we're going to knock off 500 bucks. It's going to be 1997. So you'll get a full 12 months of this program. We've got an incredible group in M1 Academy. You're going to get to network with other people, share ideas. We go into video content. We go into all the different things tactically. Once we've built it on this platform of understanding who we're going after, what problems do we solve, and where do we find them, then we can go execute tactically. Guys, if you aim at nothing, you hit it every time. We're going to make sure that aim is on point and that you're doing the things that you want to do. So I'll leave the QR code up there. Here's some contact information to me if you want to join our, our existing text community. And uh, so yeah, throw some some questions in the chat there. Megan, uh, I'm sure you have some comments. I'll, I'll turn it over to you while, while people are throwing questions in the chat here. So many little tidbits of gold. I have multiple pages of notes. So Phil, thank you for you know motivating and inspiring us. And it's been so great to watch your journey kind of evolve over the years. And I want to bring up a comment from Ryan, because I feel like I personally have felt this in my own kind of journey. Um, this kind of idea between, okay, I have to be on social media. So I have to be an influencer. I have to be in the industry. I have to work. This isn't my main job. You know, kind of being overwhelmed at the fact of when I go to work, I want to be at work. And when I be at home, I want to be present. How do we strike a balance and how do we make this easier where we don't have to overthink it? Yeah, I, I think uh, this is a great question. You don't necessarily need to be an influencer. You need to be a person of influence. And when it comes to your work day, book in your work day. When do you start and when do you stop? We've got a whole uh, course and workshop around time tracking and time blocking and just the quick 60 seconds is bookend your day. And when you think about, we've all seen the video of the jar where they put rocks in it. Okay, is the jar full? Yes. Well, then they put gravel in it. Is the jar full? Yes. Then you put sand. Well, guys, the rocks are the income producing activities that only you can do. You've got to put those in your day. And you fill your day with everything else. When it comes to being an influencer, it's not that you need to be an influencer. A personal brand is just who you are. So that people that know you or di didn't know you that want to know you know more about you. We spend too much time talking about just mortgage content and people don't get to see it because that's all we're putting out. I know so many people that have given up on social media, not because it doesn't work. When I did my podcast episode with Gary V uh, a few years ago, he said, saying social media doesn't work to build your business is like blaming the basketball for not being LeBron James. We don't blame the basketball for not being LeBron. We have to go do the things that LeBron did to become LeBron. So what does that mean? We have to be consistent about sharing who we are in our stories. It's super easy on Facebook and Instagram to take a picture of what you're doing, to share a quick video of a mental nugget you had, talk about something you're grateful for, or share other people's content. If you're a great content curator, people will follow you because you're sharing other people's content that's good and they can find it all in one place. But no, when you go home, you can go home and be at home, be present there. But there are going to be times where you can share a quick thing about what you're doing. You can take a quick picture, a quick video of things you're doing with your kids or with your family or talk about your home life. All of those things are extremely important when it comes down to letting people know that you're not just this mortgage expert that's unrelatable. Those are huge opportunities. You don't have to do that. But if you pepper that in there, you're going to see a lot more results. I also think it's important to note here too that 
creating content shouldn't be a drag. It should be something that you look forward to creating, you know, and it doesn't have to be, as you mentioned, it doesn't have to be just mortgage related content. Maybe you really like tacos and you decide you have some agent friends and once a month, you guys go see a different taco place and you review tacos, right? You're not even doing anything mortgage or real estate related, but it's all of you doing something consistently that also gets the consumer to be entertained and discover new taco places. It doesn't have to be this boring data jargon. It can be fun and it can be creative. And I encourage you all to explore what that might be. And one thing that I've been doing that I think has been really helpful too is when things are tough right now, we can be really hard on ourselves mentally. And I think it's because a lot of us, especially our type A personalities in this industry, we, we seek perfectionism. But instead of seeking that perfectionism, I encourage you to ask yourself, what am I curious about? And that doesn't have so much of this weight, this heaviness of, oh my gosh, you know, I have to do everything perfectly, or I don't know what to post. It's not perfect according to all these things that other people are doing or what other people have told me. Just ask yourself simply, what am I curious about? And follow that. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it's going to allow you to keep making moves forward. And as Phil mentioned here, as long as we are taking action steps and moving forward, it's not a failure. It's a lesson. That's exactly right. Josh Pitts talks about this. Kyle Draper talks about this. A lot of people talk about a book called uh, Steal Like an Artist. And the premise of the book is there's really no new content out there, but it's not about you sharing a piece of content that people know about. They want to know your take. So if you go learn something and you just recorded a quick 30-second video that said, hey, I just learned this thing or I just saw this video. Even if they've seen the video, they want to know your take on the video. They want to know what you think about that thing. So as you're, as Megan said, when you find something you're curious about and you learn, share that journey. I just learned about this. I had no idea. That starts conversations, but you also open the door for other people to want to know about that thing or to want to take that journey with you. One of the biggest challenges we have with trying to be a quote expert is it becomes unrelatable as opposed to I'm not an expert, but I know a lot about these things. I called my podcast mortgage marketing expert not to call me the expert, but to highlight experts that came on. And what all of them did was humanize themselves of here's what I know, but I still have room to grow and learn. That makes it relatable. So when you're sharing something that you're learning, not only are you informing people, but it becomes relatable as opposed to just from a position of expertise. One of the questions that Kevin threw in here is, are they going to Google first look us up and, and talked about Google business profile? Yes, they may Google you, which will show a lot of your social profiles or may show your Google business page, which I highly recommend to have because again, that connects to those other things. And a lot of times that's what, what, what comes up first. Uh, the other question that we have on here is, what's your favorite CRM? I like a lot of different CRMs and uh, a lot of people don't like this answer when I give it, but the best CRM is the one that you use. My favorite CRM is the one that someone spends time building out. But you also have to figure out what do you want your CRM to do? Do you want lead nurture into point of sale application? Do you want milestone updates throughout the process? Or do you want post-closing nurture where you're giving more information, staying top of mind with people? 
different CRMs are going to have different strengths with different ones. Sometimes your existing companies may cover part of that and you want to you know, do some things around it. But regardless of what CRM you use, you need to have a database. Just a quick story. I met a guy, a company that I used to work with a few years ago. He'd been in the business 10, 12 years. And the first year he got in the business and mentor told him, every person you meet around town, every person that you know in your phone, you need to get name, phone number, email address, and put it in a, into a database. And that's all he did for a year was get to know people, meet random people, put it all in a database. The next year, he did about 40 or $50 million in production. For the next 10 years, he did over $110 million. And almost all of what he did was build his database. So at the end of the day, it's really about the one that you use. Yes, love that. And Phil, I just want to say thank you again for taking time out of your day to share all of these golden nuggets with us. We appreciate you. Man, thank you so much, uh, Megan, for having me and to Barry and the whole team. I love what you guys do, and I'm just uh, honored to, to be a part of it. Thanks, everyone. Till next time.